All right, today we're joined again by Paul Friels. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you, John? Doing well, thank you. So we got a comment from listener Chad. He said that the uh, discussion with you was the best podcast episode to date. So what wow. better way to follow that up than to bring you back? I, I hope, I well, I hope Chad enjoys this one too. <laughs> so in that episode that we last did, we were talking about a number of different things. And one thing that kind of came up in the conversation was working remotely, the fact that both of us work remotely, and also the idea of, oh my goodness, we should do a whole episode on that. In the meantime, I found an article somewhere uh, on the Trello board or the Trello.com site, their blog, the 10 biggest misconceptions about remote work. And I thought this might just be a nice, I don't know, an interesting backdrop to our discussion on remote work. What do you think? I think that's great. Yeah. there And, and I think the, the whole idea of remote work nowadays really gets saddled with a lot of issues that I think maybe come out of fear or misunderstanding or mm. just maybe a, maybe just a trepidation about control. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, what's yeah. funny about that? There was two, you also mentioned kind of the, the misnomers around it. There was also this other post in medium on medium.com. And I thought there was an, it, the title of the article was we are distributed. We are not. And, yeah. and, and the kind of the force of that article was we're not remote. We're not in an office. We are distributed. Right. And I thought that was right. interesting. I mean, was, I'd never really thought of remote as being a negative term. Right. Uh, yeah, I hadn't really either. And I actually read that same article that you're talking about. Um, I guess maybe the point that it was making is that, you know, remote has some connotations of being, I don't know, hard to reach, distant, but not even necessarily in the geographic sense, but in the psychological or emotional sense, mm -hmm. whereas distributed really sounds powerful. In other words, wherever you go, there we are, right? That's a really nice way of framing it. I'll read off the 10 myths from this Trello article. We'll also include a link to the other article as well for anyone that's curious. And then maybe, I don't know, if there's a couple of these that jump out to you as like, yeah, let's dig into that one. We'll go for it. Yeah, actually, you know, John, maybe before we do that, one of the, I guess one of the, the questions maybe our, you know, our audience might be asking is, you know, why, why you and me, like, why are we talking about <laughs> being remote? How, so how did, how did you end up being remote or distributed, I guess? <laughs> at, at your, <laughs> can you be distributed? You're distributed. Like if you lay, you know, maybe if you lay across the threshold from one room to another, you're distributed. Yeah, but, that's yeah, I think so funny. Yeah. How did you one become, of us may not be. how did you become distributed? Uh, well, you know, it's kind of funny story. So to make a very long story short, I was living in Massachusetts with my wife and I was working, I had worked at EMC and then I had taken a job at Red Hat and I had been at Red Hat for a couple of years and we were thinking about having a family and we got some really good advice that said, if you're going to have family, it's really good to be closer to other family. My family had kind of, some of my family had kind of located to Portland, Oregon, as well as my wife's really good friend. After some hard back and forth discussions, we made the decision, okay, if, if we're going to do this, we're going to got to do it. And if we're going to move, we're going to do it now, or we probably won't move. And so we made a very bold decision in hindsight that turned out pretty well. Basically, I went to my boss at the time. He's not with Red Hat anymore, but I went to him and said, okay, I'm moving 
and we're putting our house in the market, and I'd love to stay with Redhead if I can, and if I can't, I totally understand. And he said, oh, no, you know, you can't do quite what you're doing now, but there's this other role that would be perfect for you. Will you take on this other role? And I said, yep, sure, glad to do that. And so 12, I've been with Red Hat 12 plus years, so two of those were in an office. The last 10 have been remote here from Portland, Oregon. Wow. So, yes, yeah, so you've really been, you know, doing it for, for quite a while. And, and for you, that was a, you know, that was a change within, you know, within Red Hat, whereas my job at Red Hat started out remotely. Yeah, which I think is even more challenging. So if I, in fact, that's a great, well, maybe we may never get to this article. We'll see. But no, I think that's a great jumping off point because for people out there that are thinking, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to go remote or how can I be successful as a remotee? I I am really amazed and impressed with how, how connected to the company you have become being remote because I look back and I often tell people I don't think I don't think I could have been as successful as I have been if I hadn't spent those 2 years in a Red Hat office getting to know the people and I still rely on some of those relationships that I developed you know 10 plus years ago right I think that really is a key to being effective remotely is you have to be willing to reach out to people to contact them and take advantage of opportunities to build relationships. I think if I think depending on the job that you're doing, there are probably ways to succeed remotely where you have a job that is really entirely individually driven, right? You have a very, very clear set of tasks and it's really about setting those things up and knocking them out. And as long as you're producing like that, um, that may count as success for some jobs. I think a lot of jobs, though, have a really complex web of relationships and tasks where you've really got to engage with other people and get input. You've got to um, you've got to consult with other stakeholders and and really sort of leverage relationships that you have around an organization in order to get people onto a single plan and then get that plan executed. And I really think re- relationship building is a critical skill for that. What would you say for yourself? Like what were the keys to your success in doing that? Well, I mean, such that I've had it, I think such as I've had it, I, I think, I think for me, the, the key factors were when opportunities came up early in my career to travel somewhere where there were going to be key stakeholders, you know, whether that might be my manager or peers or colleagues or people in other departments that were interesting to know because somehow their work sort of touched on mine. And that might have been corporate communications folks or brand folks or um, even finance or or other engineering managers, whoever they were, right? Um, when I had an opportunity to see them face-to-face, I would take it. You know, when I started at Red Hat in 2008, w- there wasn't really a well-developed culture of doing um, video conferencing at that time. I- I'm not sure exactly why. I think that was that was really sort of emergent at that point. And when it became easier to meet up with people one-on-one like that. Um, I I really jumped on that train pretty early 
and tried to take advantage of that as well, right? Because you can't always travel places. And it that sort of gives the lie to being productive remotely. If the answer is you have to see people face to face, you know, that that would make it seem like you you really can't be effective remotely. But of course the answer is you can because nowadays the tools are there really to do that. So you know, when those things emerge, I really use those as a key for building rapport with people and sort of making connections and and trying to understand where other people are coming from. And it's a lot easier to do that with a a conversation where you can hear their voice or see their body language and and sort of be able to read between the lines a little bit more mm-hmm. and and then using that you can build rapport and i think when you do that it makes it a lot easier to call on those people later when i found too simply meeting someone in person even one time make a huge difference yeah absolutely i mean one of the one of the ways that we communicate remotely is you know whether you're doing it through know slack or you know irc or some other sort of messaging is that you're sort of disconnected from the person's body language from their voice and when you don't know someone it's very hard to read their conversational tone into printed words and when you know somebody even if it's casually right you've met them once you've heard their voice you've seen their face you can kind of attach that to the messaging and it becomes a lot easier to, I think, to open up and be uh, honest and forthright in your communication and be able to also kind of attach a filter to what that person says, where if you didn't know them, right, they might say something that would strike you as a little odd or maybe even off-putting or, or aggressive. But if you know that person, then you can sort of read that body language over top of the over the message. You can kind of overlay yes, it. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it and it sort of helps you attach good intentions to it, or at least you get a sense of of that person's, um, you know, their whole being, and mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier to uh, to then have a good discourse, right? And it's kind of like I don't know, it's kind of like lubrication, I guess. And you can you know you can apply that when you're face to face by by experiencing it firsthand, but you can also kind of drag it out of your memory and apply that as an overlay to the to the text. Uh, style messaging that they're giving you and get i don't know if it's the next best thing but it definitely helps right right yeah so definitely willingness to travel if you want to be successfully remote i think that's key yeah meeting in person when you can video what other what other tricks have you found or other techniques have you found that have worked really well so as far as tricks for for being remote i think for me um one of the one of the things that I tend to like personally is a sense of consistency. So I'm usually in the same place when I'm working. Um, I have an office downstairs in the basement, and you know i I try and and keep it relatively clutter free, right? I don't put a lot of things on a virtual desktop on my computer. It's a really blank screen. And often I have it covered with just one window, whether that's a web browser or a terminal where I'm, you know, using a lot of communication tools or, or whatever. Um, having that lack of distraction on the computer is helpful for me. Um, the consistency of having an office space in the house 
is really good for me. Um, it's a psychological space that I use. So when I come here, it is going to work. And the funny thing is my kids have kind of grown up with me doing this. I've, I've got two teenagers now, um, 15 and 13. And for most of their lives, I've been working for Red Hat and they understand this to be my office. So they treat it like one. So they don't usually come bursting in you know, partly through the day, things like that. Yeah. I mean, it helps, it helps to have those ground rules, but, but it's also that consistency of getting up in the morning and just psychologically knowing I'm going to the office. And the fact that the office is, you know, a flight of stairs away doesn't change the fact that, you know, when I go there, I attach significance to that. So having that space, I think is important. Um, but at the same time, I, and I think this is really important um, every once in a while, hang on just a second, sorry, you may have to clip this. <laughs> um, but at the same time, another thing that I think is important is sort of shaking up that consistency too, right? I'll find that, you know, whereas normally that consistency helps me, um, at times I can get in a little bit of a rut and for me, shaking up the location sometimes gives me what I need. Right? How often? If I, it's um, not that often. I'd say maybe once a month. Really? That's it? So was, that's usually enough for me, honestly. Oh, my gosh. About once a month. I got, I've got to go. Well, I recently got a co-working space uh, three or four months ago, and I find like half a day. It used to be every day or two, but yeah, that's interesting. So you can go that long. I maybe maybe I that that may show that I'm just a creature of habit or something a, a lot more. I, you know, and it I think it's going to differ by person, right? Absolutely. But I would say the first thing that I would do if I were feel if I'm if I'm a remotee and maybe this is a I don't know if this you count this as advice or you know maybe just a challenge or something to the listeners if if you're in a space where you're feeling bored or I don't know, a little bit negative or you're feeling like you're kind of stuck mentally. The first thing I would do is leave your office, like find another place to work and see if that helps you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to kind of experiment to find out what works. Like some people have to have a quiet environment. Some people find it easier to be in a noisy environment. Um, I'm actually strangely the, the, the latter type. If I go to a place where it's quiet, like a library, I find it really hard to concentrate because every little thing is too quiet. Per- yeah. It perks up my attention. <laughs> but if I go, yeah, if I go to a, a coffee shop or, or something like that, uh, it's a lot easier to tune things out. Like I start really ignoring things that are around me because everything's just a sort of a hubbub or a bustle and it just kind of goes away. But again, I, I think that's a personal thing, right? You have to experiment and see what works for you. That totally is. In fact, the changing of geography, I've even found I have a tiny office. It's like 10 by 10. And I have a desk with a chair in front of it. And then I have a rocking chair that kind of sits in the corner. I find even even changing from my desk chair to my rocking chair can shake things up enough that can keep me going. Yeah. I remember you mentioning that rocking chair in one of the other episodes. And you know, if, if there are listeners out there who haven't heard, I, I'm trying not to be too much of a, of a, of a <laughs> too much of a fanboy. <laughs> this is, this is, this is not planned. I promise you guys uh, in advance, but, but yeah, there's, there's another episode where I think you talked about, you know, kind of, 
feeling like you were stuck and, you know, getting your rocking chair and kind of cracking open a, a book for a, oh, you yeah, know, for a half an hour or something. Really I think helped. that was the, I think that was uh what do you want? The what do you yeah. want or what are you looking for? Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. link to that when I figure it out. Hey, we could, you know, and the funny thing is we can tie this, I think to one of the, one of the misconceptions about working remotely because people talk about like the lack of productivity that they fear from remote workers. And if I say to somebody, like if you and I were to approach some, you know, random manager who was not inclined to, to really favor remote work. And we were to say something like, oh yeah, go sit in a rocking chair and crack open a book for half an hour. <laughs> they're going to, yeah, they're going to look at that. They're going to think, oh my gosh, they're going to, that, that, like that person's just like shirking work for a half an hour. And I guess what I would say to that person is how many times a day do you think you have workers in the office who, when they're walking by someone else's cube or someone else's office or you know, going down to the coffee shop, that they stop for 20 or 30 minutes and they end up having a conversation with a coworker or, you know, meeting somebody that, you know, an acquaintance that they hadn't run into in a while or, you know, something like, you know, that water cooler talk that happens. I mean, if if you think that that is also a loss of productivity, I would say, no, it's really not. It, I mean, that's you trade that time for morale building. And for some people, when you know, when you're a remote worker, sometimes you can get that kind of boost from like a moment of quiet. Right. You know? Or you get it in a different way. And some of this, I think, is personality specific too. I mean, <laughs> when I was in this red, this particular Red Hat office, it wasn't unusual, though. If I was trying to get something done, I would go hide out. <laughs> in fact, this is one of my tips for success is uh, at the time a hiding place. <laughs> I did. I absolutely did. There were at the time there were these empty offices with doors and there was this whole row of them at the far end of the office and I would go hide out in there. There was a phone in there so I could make calls from it. Like I could make private calls from there. And so, yeah, there were a couple of them. I can still picture it. I can, I can still remember going. In fact, one of them, I remember I had hidden out there for like, two or three hours and someone found me and they're like, this is where you were. We couldn't find you. So <laughs> you had like, to find a new one after that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah, that was exactly the point. You couldn't find me. So I get stuff done. So yeah. Right. Oh, empty offices with a door or even conference rooms. Oh yeah. I camped out in any number of conference rooms. Cause for me, that quiet and that ability to focus and concentrate is really important. Whereas if someone's having a conversation right next to me, I find it really distracting. I just can't, and I don't, sometimes I listen to music, but then I find that the music, for me, it's just, it's just quiet with a little bit going on. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's, I think it is very person specific. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you mentioned sound, that's, well, actually we both mentioned sound, I guess. And that's something that, you know, as we said, it's, it's an individual preference. Um, you know, I can, I can definitely, I can definitely judge for myself that, the type of sound matters, right? Like if I'm in a noisy, bustly environment where I can't really pick out a lot of one specific conversation, um, I find that really helpful, right? It's kind of like white noise. Um, listening to music, I often do that at home, but there's a fine line, right? If I listen to music that I know well and that I really like, uh, especially when it has words, um, the human voice or that human singing, like I'll start to pay attention. Uh, maybe a little too much attention to it, you know, or sing along and 
that takes a little, you know, it takes a little bit of your attention away from what you're doing. Um, whereas if I listen to something that's instrumental, um, that helps a lot, especially if it's things like, you know, soundscapes or if it's something that is, I don't know, like electronic music or electronic dance music or something like that, where there's, you know, there, there may be a beat or a pulse to it, which makes you feel extra or, um, energized, but not, uh, really that sense of, you know, lyrics or something deep that you have to pay attention to and get something out of. No. And that reminds me of an episode that I did that I haven't, I did it. Oh my goodness. Back in July that I haven't done anything with it's. So I was camping along the Umpqua river in Southern Oregon and I did, well, I have a field recorder and I did some recordings of the water and oh. it makes the perfect sound masking. It's not white noise, but it's like, I don't know how to describe it. So it's kind of, I guess you call it ambient noise. So I've yeah. made, I have, I have an episode that's kind of done that I need to clean up and publish, but I was also going to share like these 30 minute segments that I made that if people wanted to download them, they could use them to just kind of block out distractions. So this will be my right. motivation to get those going. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, was this more like babbling brook yeah noise, well or was it was like more waterfall? it was it was something between it was river slash like very minor rapids and so it had okay it okay. had kind of a yeah not i tried a bubbling brook and that at another place we went camping and that did not work at all it was too it was <laughs> too, too, too chill. gentle <laughs> yeah it was too chill <laughs> but this one i did I, yeah i let the recorder go for i don't know 30 or 40 minutes and there's birds in the background and different things. And then I did some smaller clips and I need to take those clips and, and loop them in a way that you can't tell to, uh, cause they're all, I did them from different locations. I did them in the, I waded into the water. I did, it was, I just kind of had fun with it. If I didn't think that there were a lot of these already, I would say you have a product line. No. <laughs> Jing. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are definitely plenty of them. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe if you, sl I don't know, maybe there's some way you could like, I don't know. You, you could you could somehow work artisanal into it right right so here's a fun one so flipping through the the uh, 10 myths the the 10th myth here is that netflix is streaming all day oh my gosh so have you ever watched so, netflix during a work day <laughs> no i, I have. have not <laughs> have you really oh, yeah if, it gets back to the whole thing if you're stuck and you're thrashing like watch something for 30 minutes why yeah. not? Yeah, well, well, it is that idea of taking I don't have it running in the back. Just to be clear, I don't have it like running on a monitor in the background. No, that would drive me yeah. crazy. <laughs> you're like, you're in the middle of a meeting and suddenly like, you know. Someone dies. And <laughs> Jessica Jones like karate chops somebody <laughs> or something. And they're like, John, are you okay? <laughs> like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, right in the middle of a meeting. <laughs> it's a big, there's a surprise twist. Yeah. No, I, I really haven't done that. Although I would say, you know, when I, I think if I reach like a, a mental stopping point, like a, a brick wall, or, you know, sometimes it's a little reward. Like if I finish an hour and a half work, worth of something that's really deep thought and writing, you know, I might take, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and I might, you know, check my feeds. I might, look at um uh, like a, a quick youtube video or something like that just to um you know sort of break myself out of that out of that loop um as far as something like 
really watching TV or you know something where it gets me really really far away from the the office. I usually don't do that. Now I don't. Now I don't really. I don't have a TV in here. I mean, I, I guess I could probably nowadays bring up Chrome and watch Netflix on that, but I haven't done it. Um, I think for me, that's kind of a line that I personally don't like to cross. Mm. And, but I think it's. I think partly that's because when I started as a remote e, I was also starting at Red Hat. It was my first job in private industry. Um, my first job and I was starting as a, as a remote associate and I didn't know what my performance was going to be like. It was a brand new world for me. And I was, I think I was petrified that I might turn into one of those people who, I don't know, ends up sitting on the couch and saying, Oh, I'll just turn on, you know, the news or Oprah or judge Judy or whatever. And I can keep working. And then eventually I'd be sitting there with the bowl of popcorn by my side. And then eventually I'd be like, Oh, I'll put the computer aside for me. And then eventually I'd have a beer and it would just like be this, this slippery slope down into, you know, it would end in like unemployment. Your family's living in a van down by the river. Drug addiction. Yeah. It would just be, it would, it would end really badly. Like I, I constructed this entire, this entire myth of like what was going to happen if I watched, you know, TV in the middle of the day or something like that. So I've, I've stayed away from it for that uh-huh. reason. And mainly, I think, All right. <laughs> well, but that's, and- that's just my part. I, I tend to think that, that a lot of people don't, don't really do that other than, you know, to, again, to break up the monotony. And, right. and I would say if, if you're going to do that, really the key is just to be accountable to yourself about what, what that time means and if you're making it up in other ways and on a slightly different schedule, then I I would call that perfectly valid, right? You can always measure it by the by yeah. by the result. Are you getting the job done? Right, right. Yeah, it's really not about it's not about whether you sit at a chair in front of a screen for eight and a half or ten hours straight every day, day in and day out. It's about, you know, what the results are. And, you know, again, I I think one of the biggest misconceptions about remote work is that somehow people who do it are really being lackadaisical and they're just going to use that time to, um, you know, just follow other pursuits or, or whatever the case may be. And I tend to find at, at least the people I know, and, you know, granted that may be a biased sample, but the people that I know tend to treat it as, um, a, a benefit that they're, it gives them the flexibility they need. So, you know, in the middle of the day, they can walk away from this, from their desk for, let's say an hour and a half for a doctor's appointment, or, you know, they need to pick up something at the grocery that's going to take, you know, 35 or 40 minutes and their spouse can't, or, or their loved one can't do it for whatever reason. And that's going to make their home life happier. And they're going to come back and they're going to, they're going to make those those minutes or those hours up doing what they do. And again, to me, there's always this background noise that you have at an office full of people where your schedule is so much less predictable. I mean, you, you hid from people to be able to get things done, (laughs) which just seems, that seems crazy, right? You go to an office that you're, it's designed for you to get work done, right? The whole point is for you to be there and work. And yet you can't get your work done there. Right. Well, and I think that's what, I think that's a current, conundrum that i've heard of and witnessed in some places which is 
you've got an office for all these people to gather, and yet more and more people are working from other places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's, so, the, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it, it is an interesting, um, it's an interesting puzzle, like how you make office and remote work, um, I don't know, compatible, but distinguishable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I really think they're, they're two different things, but you can get great results from both of them. Like I'm not opposed to working in an office. And at times I've kind of felt like, man, sometimes I really would like to be in an office. You know, the, the water cooler that I talked about earlier is, is an example. I mean, it's nice to be interrupted. Sometimes it's nice to see other people's faces. And, you know, I, every once in a while, you know, I'll get a feeling that, you know, gosh, it'll be nice to talk to so-and-so. But the great thing is today, there's no barrier to that. Be- just because I'm not in the physical office, you know, I'll I'll uh, send that person an email or or pick up the phone, give them a call, and or even just, you know, schedule something where, you know, get on their calendar and say, hey, let's let's have a video call just, you know, for 30 minutes. Let's, yeah, let's just say up. hi and yeah, let's let's see how, how things are going. And and I'll tell you, when I when I get those calls, I, I know that I'm one of the people who you know, on the spectrum, I'm, you know, definitely kind of a, a connector type person where I really like having that, that type of relationship with people. So after I get done with one of those calls, yeah, I feel really great. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that really gets me charged up and I can go back to work and do whatever it was I was engaged in. And it just, I don't know, it makes me really happy for the rest of the day. And I think it's, I think with those calls, you can sneak those in sometimes too. So I've been in situations where I had like a, it was like a three minute question that I had for someone that probably could have been taken care of in an email, but instead I flipped it into a phone call or a video call. Yeah. And then, which was a nice segue just to have some FaceTime, some real time conversation with that person. And, and I kind of used that little thing as an excuse for needing to talk to them in real time. And that right. is a really natural way, I think to build relationships with people. So, you know, could it, which is kind of the opposite of a lot of stuff, which is like, well, don't interrupt someone by having a phone call with them. I mean, just send them an email and get it done with. But I think in the context of being remote, there is a place and there is value in, I don't want to say forcing, but you know, it have using excuses to have real time conversation. Cause it's a little awkward to be like, Hey, I need to have a real time conversation with you. <laughs> Right, right. And, you know, and sometimes those conversations might you know, not be just an excuse, but sometimes it's a way to sort of, I don't know, um, tap people for subtle information. I, I don't mean I don't mean being sneaky. I'm not talking about, like, trying to sneak information out of people or no, or being you know, manipulative. No, right. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. But more like, you know, let, you know, let the conversation drift a little bit if people are willing and able to do that for a few minutes. And, you know, you can find out a little bit about, you know, things that they've heard or experienced recently that might be apparent if you were in the office, but wouldn't be otherwise. And you can kind of pick up on that. And sometimes that background or context, I mean, I've, I found out things like that randomly from people during a a short call or, or a video conference or something like that. It was just of huge value. And I could take that to, you know, some other conversation that I was having and, and really be not just feel, but really be 
dialed in um, to things that are going on around the office. And, you know, again, I think that helps bolster relationships. It helps bolster the feeling that you're part of the team, even if you're not there in body all the time. Absolutely. So any other distractions that are jumping out or not distractions, any other myths? So the myths here where I'll just read them off real quick. Remote work means productivity decreases. I think we covered that pretty well. I'd yeah. say it's potentially increases or it can be the same. Remote workers are out of contact. Nope. We just talked about that. Remote work means your data is unsafe. <laughs> uh, we didn't really go into data security, but that's boring. I, that is, I, it, it is. It seems kind of, and and nowadays I would say it's like that's just yeah. so clearly out of step. Communication suffers. Nope. Not if you're intentional about it. I think you have to be intentional. If you're just thinking that people are gonna call you and do that, yeah, communication's gonna suffer. But I think if you're proactive and you look for opportunities to maybe over communicate, I think that can be really productive. Myth number five, meetings are ineffective. Well, we've already talked about meetings last time. And yes, I, I, I do not, I think, well, I guess I qualify this one. I think depending on what kind of meeting you need to have, if you're having like a new team kickoff, yeah, meeting in person is going to have some benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's just a regular, you know, product meeting, project meeting, whatever, I think that you can kind of get into a rhythm where those are just as effective as if you have them in person. Yeah, and I I've agree. been doing it for my for the last ten years, and so have you. <laughs> Remote workers are lonely. Myth number six. <laughs> I don't. No. I don't get no. lonely. It sounds like I, again, you got to be intentional and proactive on this one too. Yeah, you have to be. You have to and kind of be aware of your own feelings, right? I I think largely, I I know largely I am not lonely. I think every once in a while, I do like connecting up with people, but that's an easy problem to solve, right? And it just starts with me, again, picking up the phone or getting in contact with somebody. I think when you, if you have, rem I think that this is an important point for managers to be aware of, that they don't allow their remote people to be lonely, that it's mm -hmm. a manager's job to make sure that people on your team who aren't with other folks feel like they're part of the team. And again, it's a solvable problem. And it really, and again, it depends on the person. It depends on their work style and it depends on what they're doing. Yeah, no, yeah, I would totally agree with you in terms of, in this one in particular, like consistent one-on-ones. So Absolutely. Another, yeah, I guess I was thinking, well, if you had to choose between someone in an office and someone remote, I would just say, if you're a manager, you need to have consistent one-on-ones with your people no matter where they are. But I think it's even, That's it's particularly critical for people that are remote. Yeah, yeah. You can't forget about them. Myth number eight, company culture suffers. Now, this is an interesting one because Red Hat has such a culture of distributedness and remoteness that I, yeah, I don't, I have a hard time seeing how this has happened at Red Hat, that our that the, the company culture has suffered. I don't think that it has at all. Yeah, I, I don't feel that it has either. Um, not at least not from remote folks. I I feel like we've we've had so many of them for so long. I, something like I don't know. Isn't it like we still have about a quarter or a third of I don't 
I don't know the numbers on that. But, but I mean, the funny part about this is, so sometimes people have said, well, I mean, so which office is the product that you work on headquartered in? Like, mm-hmm. well, no office. <laughs> in other words, the, <laughs> the, the funny thing about this is like the products that I work on, there's no possible way to be in a central office. I mean, there right. are people right. spread out. I'm trying to think of, say, one of the products I'm working on. Off the top of my head, I would say people are spread out between six to ten different locations. Yeah. And that only includes two offices. <laughs> so, yeah. and But I would say, on the other hand, I would say for for new teams, building a culture can definitely take time. And can, you know, maybe if you're bringing together a new group of people... This is where I think the importance of meeting and face-to-face periodically would be important. Right, right. I, and I think that what you're saying here, this this period, the periodic touch point, I mean, certainly an initial, but also a periodic get-together for people on a team, I think that can be really helpful um, for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, one of them is, again, sort of building that bond between the team that requires you know, a physical presence. It's it's what humans are are engineered for that we respond to each other in ways that don't transmit over internet lines, essentially. So doing that once in a while, I think, is really important. Right. Um, you know, the, the 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 idea that you can, you know, the idea that you could build a culture without ever seeing somebody, I, I'm I'm not convinced that that's possible. Um, maybe in a minimal way, but I don't think in a way that's truly lasting and transformative. Mm-hmm. Number nine, myth number nine, workers are working 24 seven. Remote workers <laughs> are working 24 uh, seven. Yes. Even when I'm on stage playing, I'm thinking about work <laughs> right then. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, their point I guess here is that remote people keep regular hours, re- regular office hours. Yeah. This one I would say can be challenging depending on, like I like the way you kind of described going down to your office um, as kind of heading to work. Sometimes I I have thought of like having a ritual of walking around the block first or uh, having a more kind of definitive begin and end to the day. Because I find it's easy to kind of, we, we eat dinner fairly early, the 5.30. So it's, it's really easy to have dinner at 5.30 and by 6.30 think, oh, I'll just go check on a few things and wrap a few things up. And then I've, you know, without even thinking about it, another hour and a half or two hours is gone. And it's like, well, gosh, there goes most of my evening. So I don't know. I guess, but again, in today's day and age where everyone's connected all the time. And even if there is an office, I mean, the sense I get for people that are in offices these days is a lot of people are coming in late to the office, whatever late is, to miss traffic. And then maybe they're leaving early to miss traffic again or they're staying late. So it's, yeah, I don't think there's anything special here about being remote. Yeah, I I don't think there is either. Um, With, I think with the exception that in what I, what I've sometimes seen at Red Hat, and I'll bet this is probably the case with other jobs um, that have a, a high proportion of, of engineers. Um, I see a lot of folks who, for whatever reason around Red Hat, you know, they're, they're, they're passionate about their job, but they, they're also, it's not just a, it's not just a vocation. It's also an avocation. And for some people, 
their work is their work and their work is their hobby too. And their work is their life. Um, I've seen that happen. And, you know, I've, I, you know, I know, I know a couple people and you know, I won't name any names obviously, but I know a couple people that, you know, ha- they exhibit what I think of as kind of a, an unhealthy devotion to like one kind of work. And that really is the kind of stuff that they're being paid for. And they're doing it all the time, right? They're doing it during working hours. When work gets done, you know, they, they eat dinner, they come back and they're working again. And they're basically doing the same stuff all day and all night, other than when they're sleeping or eating. And I think that's a dangerous road to be on. I know that it was not helpful for me when I was early in my Red Hat career. You know, I was worried about the accountability that I needed to show for a lot of people. I felt like I had to prove my results to a lot of people, regardless of what they were expecting, right? I don't think this really, I don't think this really jived with reality. That was the problem, right? My reality filter was way out of, out of whack. And I thought that I needed to be everywhere for everybody all the time. And so I was working, you know, 15, 16 hour days every single day. And I did that for about a year and a half or so when I started at Red Hat and, you know, it really took a toll until, you know, I, I think I, I think you and I had started to have a lot of talks around that time about effectiveness. And I kind of realized that I was headed for, I was headed for a cliff Mm. and really sort of changed my attitude that it, it needed to not be about quantity. It needed to be about quality. Mm -hmm. And that's still, and that's a, so sometimes that's a fine balance too. Uh, Like, yeah, there are going to be different situations for, different kinds of jobs. So it's absolutely the case that there are some jobs out there that require responsiveness around the clock or, you know, they're like, for example, some of the folks on my team, uh, manage an infrastructure, right? They're system administrators and things sometimes break in the middle of the night without warning. Like, I don't know, a hard drive and a server goes bad or something like that. And that affects the service that's being used around the world. And so somebody is awake, probably trying to use it. And so, you know, they spring into action and try and fix it. Um, so there are jobs out there that require that kind of responsiveness, but that's not the same necessarily as working all the time, you know, and for those folks, uh, you know, I'm always really upfront with them as a manager about, you know, taking downtime and, you know, somebody had to wake up in the middle of the night and fix something for a couple hours you know, they know that they have my full support, you know, either they're not going to be in for yeah, coming later skip, or, yeah. Yeah, or, 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 or skip out early tomorrow or whatever the case may be, whatever works for them. But I do try and keep a, a tab on whether somebody is doing that and then also not trading it off for anything. Right. Because that, I kind of think that's unhealthy. Right. Uh, the, the, the thing that I tell them, is that as much as I love working for Red Hat, and I really do, and I know there are people out there in your audience who love the companies that they work for, um, the thing to remember is that your company is never going to love you back. The company <laughs> is not, it's not capable. It's its a corporation. It cannot love you. It doesn't mean it's evil. There are I truly believe that there are companies out there that are, are doing great things, um, but it is incapable of love. Right. The only the only thing that's incap- that's capable of love are like, you know, your friends, your family, your other loved ones, um, other humans. So the the thing that we 
extract from the company in in place of love are benefits, right? You know, our salary, our you know, our, our days off, our time off, things like that. And for a remote person, I think one of the benefits that we extract is is flexibility. So if you're going to be responsible around the clock for something, then the way that the company can show you its own kind of broken equivalent of love is by showing you flexibility and saying, you know what, you're doing a great job. You know, you, you fix this thing in the middle of the night for a couple hours you know, don't show up till lunchtime or, you know, knock off early, uh, you know, on Friday and go see a movie or something like that. No, I think that's really good. And it reminds me of a, oh, actually, I think this might be a good title for the episode. Your company is incapable of love. <laughs> but no, <laughs> it, it, it. it reminds me of a similar thing. So the first job I had in my career was I was an auditor, an internal auditor at a big bank in Los Angeles. And I think I was into like my first year and I was really stressed out about this particular audit that we had done. And I remember the, the I was getting my review from the guy that had been leading this audit and he really kind of gave it to me straight in a way that I've never forgotten. And he basically was his, his point to me was lighten up. And then his exact <laughs> words were a year from now, everything we just did, it's not going to matter. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it's like, think about it. We're going we're gonna to come back to this department a year from now. We're going to do another audit. So the audit we just did, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And I've kind of taken that into other parts of my life and, and even in, in company life sometimes of thinking, okay, I'm really frustrated with how this process is working or that this release is late. A year from now, is this really going to matter? It's a, it's, it's a question of aperture, right? Like yeah. And, over and, the next week. Or, you know, it might be critical. And over the next month, it may be important. But like, you know, and two not, years from now. Yeah. And I'm not it. saying just phone it in because a year from now, it's not going to matter. I'm just saying it's a matter of perspective and lasting impact. And yeah. Right. Right. There's a there's a point where, you you know, you really want to have that drive. And then at another point, you also have to prioritize this against you know, things like, you know, your health, your availability for your family, um, you know, your ability to be a good human being. And, you know, those, those things all, and I think in that mix somewhere is the ability to be a largely productive member of your, of your team or, you know, your organization. And you can't right? do That's, that. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're going all out all the time. Right. Right. Eventually you will, you'll, you'll basically destroy yourself. And, and in doing that, you cost a lot of the value that you're trying to build up. Yeah, you're not helping present, anyone at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. If you have questions or ideas around the podcast, send those to podcast at johnpolster.com. 